So uh, we are back in Mark, and um, you know, um, this will be hopefully a fun passage of scripture to study together. Um, you know, uh, say, turn to your neighbor and say, don't cross the line now. Turn to your other neighbor and say, don't cross the line. Don't cross the line. You know, this week uh, we were hanging out, and uh, a member who will remain nameless, you know, you know, in, in Mobile, Alabama, when we start playing the dozens and talking about you, we call that janking. Everybody say janking. Janking, right. Uh, I think here it's called checking. Is that correct? Don't check me, homie. Um, checking. And I think maybe in the Northeast, it might be called joshing. Any Northeast people? Philly? Philly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joshing. Uh, so, you know, you know, it's just kind of what you do. You start, you know, it's all playful, you know. And uh, I just, I got a little hurt. Because one of the members here at your church said, Pastor, you built like a question mark. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm just going to say we need to excommunicate him, Marshall. We need to put him under discipline. You know, but you know what I'm saying? But you can take that, you know, oh, your eyes, your neck, your lips, your back, your toe, all, you know, you do all that thing. But you know, the rules, the kind of unwritten rules of janking and checking and joshing is like, now look, now, we can do all this now, but don't talk about my mama now. And now look, I know she ain't got a whole lot of hair, and I know she got like four different things going on over here. I know that, and I, she, yes, I know all of that, but you ain't finna talk about my mom. You done crossed the line. I, this is the best way that I can help you understand what is going on in Mark 3. In the middle of the passage that we just studied where Jesus kind of categorizes the people who've now been following him. All these droves of people who've come from all over the Mediterranean region to see the miracle worker, to see the teacher with authority. Now they've come and, 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 and we, we, he separates the rest of the crowd from people who are just here to see. And, and then he calls to himself those who he wants to be with him, those who he he wants to send out uh, and empower for his purposes. Um, but in the middle of that group are some, uh, some, uh, some deceitful and some spiteful little boogers, right? And so um, what we will see in the text today is that there are also groups of people who've traveled from miles away called scribes. Everybody say scribes. And scribes made this big trek from Jerusalem now, and, and actually we skip past it, but in verse 6, it actually says that after Jesus had, y'all remember the Sabbath day encounters where he was healing people in, his, in the synagogue, and he was eating, and his disciples were plucking grain, that after that encounter, the Pharisees said they went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians how they might destroy him. And so this was now, this contingent of special agents was sent from Jerusalem these scribes now just to listen attentively to Jesus and to see what they might catch him on because they're fed up with him and they're ready to move on. Now, um, we have a lot of things going on in that passage. I'd encourage you to go back and read it on your own time. But you got the biological family of Jesus. What they doing? They're getting ready to stage an intervention for him. They thought he went to be a lunatic. There they go banging on the doors like, hey, man, get him up out of there. He done went crazy. Y'all, don't worry about my 
we're going to get him. We're going to take care of him, right? So they think Jesus has went crazy. Um, and sandwiched in between the narrative where Jesus hears Mary and he hears the rest of them on the outside saying, Jesus, come out of there. Get out. And Jesus says, hey, man, no, I'm with my true family. Now he identifies himself uh, with the people who do God's will. Now, let's pick back up with the story within the story at verse 22. It says, the scribes who came from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebub. Everybody say Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. C.S. Lewis, the great English writer, says that uh, when Jesus kind of claimed to be God, that there were only three options, right? Either he's God, he's a lunatic, or he's a liar pulling off a very, very good and elaborate scheme of deception. Um, we just talked about it. Jesus' family went the, with the lunatic option. Now, um, who's Jesus' mama, y'all? Speak back to me. It's a black preacher. Mary, right? Uh, so, you know, how did she get involved? Like, she was the one who had this immaculate conception. Um, I, I just think that Mary probably did, totally underestimated the severity and the gravity of the suffering and the ridicule and the shame that her son would go through. And I think she was there really just to try to mitigate some of that and decrease it. But she was a part, um, and they, were, uh, they went with the lunatic option, the family did. But nobody could really go with the liar option because all of them were there. They're watching people have limbs restored. They're watching fevers uh, be reduced. They're walking uh, skin, come back into contact with each other. So nobody could say that Jesus was lying. So the Pharisees were kind of in a little bit of a dilemma, right? He's not a lunatic. He's not a liar. What, what should we do with him? And so they kind of came to an altogether different conclusion. They said, okay, he must be demon-possessed, Right? So they had surmised that he was demon-possessed and that he was working with the prince of darkness uh, and that everything that he was doing was in result of satanic forces. Everybody say, ooh, Jesus, ooh, Jesus, right? Jesus then responds to that idiotic conclusion with a little bit of logic. And so this is where we'll pick up in verse 23. And he called to them and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he can't stand, but it's coming to an end. His conclusion is this. Hey, man, look, that's silly logic, number one, because if the satanic sphere of power were etern internally divided, then it couldn't stand. Satan wouldn't attack Satan. Now, I done played in a lot of football games, basketball games, a lot of competitive events. I can remember one time being in college, Raph was here, we went to college together, and we, were, we had JV, so if you weren't kind of in the rotation and, you know, uh, you were shirting or something, you could play on, on Sunday afternoons and you could play against JUCOs and military schools or whatever. And uh, it would be the best competition we would play would be on <laughs> Sunday afternoon. These guys are going to Big Ten schools and whatever, whatever. Um, but, you know, they kind of didn't have the time to gel and to bond. And so we would see that, you know, on Sunday, you know, there we would be a team and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe we get a little first down, first thing you know, man, you better get that man, 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 man. And just, I'm talking about smacking each other, hitting helmets, and we were like, oh, okay. They might be more talented than us, but they ain't together. We gonna beat them, right? Uh, we know that much. Jesus uses this logic. Clearly, I can't be working with Satan because if Satan was fighting Satan, that wouldn't make any sense, right? 
So his second point of logic is to say this. We'll pick it back up in verse 27. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So his second point of logic is this. Satan must be bound before his sphere of power can be challenged. Basically, you can't rob a man unless you tie him down first. So if you're saying that Satan's kingdom is being plundered, then he must be have been subordinated. Somebody must have him captive, and I'm him. He says it's two points of logic. The reason why you can't call me and, 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 and attest to my works being demon-possessed is because Satan wouldn't fight against Satan. That's number one. No idiot would do that. Even the prince of darkness wouldn't do that, right? Secondly, oh, if you're saying that somebody been conquering the kingdom of darkness, then I guess you're saying that Satan must be under somebody's control. Somebody must have him bound, and I am he. Now, once they get to the conclusion, um, and once they kind of, Jesus gets to the end of this, this logic, and he explains the, just the idiocy of the accusation, he then pronounces the final verdict for them arriving at that conclusion in the first place. He says, it was stupid for you to even come up with that. But now let me tell you what the result will be for you arriving at that conclusion. Verse 28. He says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he was an unclean spirit. He has an unclean spirit. This is where the buck stops for Jesus. This is when it's went too far. This is when you ain't going to talk about my mama right here. So what is the unforgivable sin? All right, I'm sure y'all have heard about it. I'm sure you've used this uh, to scare people, uh, you know, whatever. Ooh, you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Ooh, whatever you do. Uh, but let's unpack it today, and let's use one statement from these verses uh, just to help us frame it all up, and let's do a little bit of theological work, and then we'll get out of here, all right? That sound good with y'all? Good. Somebody talk back to him. That sound good with you? Good. Amen. All right. I really just want to deal with the one phrase, all sins will be forgiven. Everybody say, all sins will be forgiven. So let's first deal with sin. What is it? The Westminster Shorter Catechism. You know the Presby's. We love to use it, right? Any want or conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. What's the modern English? It's basically this. Sin is any failure to measure up to what God requires or any disobedience to his command. Let's just pause really quickly right now. This will be maybe be a little bit more teaching than a little bit preaching today, but it's important. Sin is a big deal. Turn your neighbor and say, sin is a big deal. It seems to be the major thing that the Bible is trying to conquer and resolve. The very people God created, the very people that he loves and calls by his name, seem to be riddled with it, infected by it. And the big news of the Bible is that there is a Savior who comes and frees them from this disease. So if you're going to ministries, you're in Bible studies, and you got Christian groups, and they never talk about sin, that's probably a problem. Because the Bible always talk about it. And it seems to be a big deal. What is sin? It's not merely mistakes. Oh, I lost my way. Uh, yes, and. It's not just oops. It, mm, that's a part of it. But sin um, 
are acts of omission or commission, right? Either you failed to do it or you did do it. Listen to these, right? Uh, omission. I, I, I omit it, right? I failed to love my neighbor. That's a sin because the Bible commands it. So it's a sin even if you fail to do it. I fail to honor my mother and my father so that my days be long upon the earth. That would be sin, okay? Everybody say sin. It's okay. That's what it is, right? I fail to do something. That's omission. Commission, right? You did do something. I did covet my neighbor's shoes. When my pastor wore those fly Air Max 95s last week, I was looking. I couldn't even listen to the message. I was looking at his feet because they were so flossy, and I wanted them, right? I forgive you, but you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness, right? <laughs> right? Right? Commission means you did do it, right? I did covet, right? That's sin. I did lust after someone who is not my spouse. That's sin, right? Everybody say sin. Oh, but the good news today. All sins will be forgiven. But you got to call it what it is first, though. So let's, the phrase says all sins. We just walked through what sins is. All sins will be forgiven, but let's, I think that will be, can be better interpreted as can be, all right? Put it in your notes somewhere. I think it's better if you read it as all sins can be, not all sins will be, because there's a difference, right? We are not universalists. Let's do a little theological work today. Y'all know what universalism is? It's, It's those who believe that in the salvation of all souls. Right? Oh, this, you know, all that stuff what y'all do, it's all good because Jesus is going to save everybody anyway. Okay? That would be a universalist. Now, that came to American shores um, after more traditional Calvinist Orthodox thinking that um, Jesus died and he, and he died for people who he chose in eternity past. And he didn't just make a way for those people who he chose, but when he went to the cross, he actually secured that way. Oh, that's the best news I heard in a long time. Jesus didn't say, hey, man, now I'm going to leave the door open. You find your, oh, come on now. Somebody ought to get happy right there. He didn't just say, I left it for you. Now you got to go find your way. But when he went to the cross, he finished it for you. That ought to give you some hope on some dark nights here. Do you hear me? That is still not up to you to find your way. He secured your way. That's the more traditional thinking. But John Murray, who came in the 18th century, he kind of modified that just a little bit. He was struggling with the tension of a God who who loved and who was compassionate and, and who was slow to anger. How could he send anyone to hell? And so he was like, well, what we're going to do is, I know the Bible teaches about eternal punishment. I can't read that out of the Bible, but what we'll do is this. We will call the eternal punishment, we'll adopt the more Catholic view of that, we'll call it purgatory. So God's still going to save everybody. Everybody's going to be saved. But those who are reserved for eternal punishment, they'll go to a purgatory until they kind of get themselves together. And then they'll come back into the heavenly fold. Now, that kind of just kept evolving. And modern universalists have kind of, you know, joined together with a more Unitarian philosophy. And they listen to what you have to get your ears keen now. Listen to what's been done with the atonement. Now the atonement is just some kind of vicarious demonstration. It really doesn't have a value to it. It's just an example of how much God loves you. But it has no salvific implications. 
oh, man, look at Jesus went to the cross. Now, that's how much God loves you. Yes, and that work on the cross was uh, effective. It was efficient. It, it provided value to us beyond our wildest imaginations. Everything that we hope to have, every blessing that we hope is ours, is all secured for us by that act on the cross. Oh, it's not just an example. It's not just a symbol. Oh, but it has so much value. Isaiah 53 said our healing was in those wounds. Amen, somebody. I want to encourage you, if you are struggling with this idea of God's love and, and eternal punishment, I would turn you to these scriptures. Don't read eternal punishment out of the Bible. It's there, Matthew 18 and 8. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Revelations 20.14.15, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you are banking on some kind of universalistic system to be revealed, I am begging you. I'm begging you to come back to the scriptures and, and wake up out of that stupor and believe what the scripture says about itself in your future. Everybody say, however. It is true. Inasmuch as hell and eternal punishment is an objective reality, what's also true is that God is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is patient. He is loving, abounding in love beyond your wildest dreams. And this is how he demonstrates it. He is a forgiving God. What is forgiveness? It's that absolution of your sin. And what this scripture and what this phrase is telling us, all sins will be forgiven, all sins can be forgiven, is that there is not one category of sin that's not forgivable. Heaven doesn't blush. They don't have a collective gas when they see you do something like, oh, I can't believe it. That's not what this is. There's so many times when it's your turn, I want you to know this. That number one, I love the scripture in Hebrews why Aaron was selected to be the priest because he was a man who had a whole lot of sin action going on and he wouldn't look on people with pride. And I just want to know when it's your turn and you got to come see the pastor, you got to go see your accountability group or your leader, you just, we're not going to blush. When you tell us what you done did, we're not, oh my, can I just take a water break real quick? No, no, no. Oh, I've experienced mercy beyond your wildest dreams. These hands are more dirty than you could ever realize. And I believe in the cleansing power and blood that flow from Calvary's mountain. You don't receive judgment here. You're going to be reminded that all sins can be forgiven. I can guarantee you that. There are no magic sins. There is no system. File number RZ12865. Oh, you committed a code 7 violation. And oh, that's a special case. We got to send that up the ladder. There's none of that, y'all. All sins can be forgiven. That means individuals who have robbed the unborn of life. 
forgive you. That means people who have singled out individuals because of their skin and their race, and they've done heinous things to them, like hang them from trees. Oh, you need to know. <laughs> Forgiven. You need to know that even people who have stolen the innocence of young girls and young boys and robbed them of that purity. I know it's tense in your heart, but you need to know that all sins can be forgiven. LGBTQ community, you need to know you can be forgiven. Those of us who have premeditated violence, murder, the gospel says it's not one category that his blood ain't powerful to wash away. See, but it provides a little tension, doesn't it? Because some of us have been the victims of these very things. Seeing people taken from our family unit before their time. Some of us in the room have been the victims of molestation. Some of us in the room have been uh, the one who was going to be aborted. And it provides a little tension. But I got to tell you, the same grace that was big enough to forgive you is the same one that's going to find your assailant. And draw them to the truth. It's the truth. He doubles down on it in verse 28. And he says, whatever blasphemies they utter. He, he took it from the actual maybe acts and he made it even clear that some of the ignorance of people. I don't even believe in God. And Jesus ain't this and Jesus ain't that, right? He says, whatever blasphemies you utter in ignorance, those can be forgiven too. Look at Paul who persecuted the church. He's riding on the road to Damascus. The light hits him. He's like, what's going on? Hey, he says, it's I who you've been persecuting. Jesus forgives the man who's literally been uh, rounding up people like a doggone raid and throwing them in for professing his name. He forgives him. Crazy, man. Jesus' family, we hear that they're calling him lunatics. Some of them will be leaders in the church. We see it in Acts. All sins can be forgiven. For those of you whose consciences have been wrecked, and you can't fool me, I've been in the game a long time. I know you put it together nice and neat, but I know some of y'all's consciences are just wrecked. And you go home, you have sleepless nights, and you, your heart not right because you don't really believe what I'm telling you. Some of you take medicine not because of physical ailments, because of this very concept right here. You don't believe that you could be forgiven. Can I tell you, is this not the best news you can hear? That every secret of your heart Everything in your past can be completely wiped away from your record this morning and that Jesus takes your sins and he throws them as far as the east is from the west. Could you hear anything more beautiful this morning? That there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who are in Christ. For what you did last night, for what you spoke to that person last week, you can be forgiven. I wish I could get a hand clap of praise in this room right now. Now, how is forgiveness attained? 
it's responding to the true claims of Jesus and his word. He is God. He is the way, not just an example of the way. He is Lord. He's not a wizard. He's not a magician. He's not a teacher, but he is actually Lord, and we must do what he says, right? When, we, when Jesus finds us and awakens us to the truth of who we are, we repent. What's it mean to repent, Pastor Tim? First of all, we got to acknowledge, right? This ain't just phantom sin, but the brokenness is in me, right? I'm guilty. It's me. I'm hopeless. I need a Savior. We hate it. We realize that sin has been destroying us, our lives, robbing us of every wonderful thing that Christ has secured for us, every peace. We hate what it's done to us. And then we turn. We don't turn perfectly, but we turn and we just turn persistently. Y'all do realize that? We will show you over and over again in Mark that these people who are following Christ, they are not perfect people. But they recognize that something's wrong. They detest what's wrong in them and what's wrong in the world. And they turn. All right, I don't know where I'm going, don't know how I'm going to do it, don't know how, I'm a, how long I'm going to stay, but I know you're right, I know you're better, and I'm turning towards you. Can I encourage you today? I know you have fallen on your face quite a few times, but you just keep getting back up and you keep following. That's what this is. Genuine forgiveness is not something you earn, and it's not something you work to keep. It's there positionally. When you are in Christ Jesus, it's over. And that's the most wonderful motivation for work. The fact that you're already forgiven. Now you work not to earn, but you work to keep honoring. So what's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. I'm just messing with you. What is the one sin that can't be forgiven? There's so much on this. We only see it appear in scripture once. My synopsis for you would be this. It's, it is your ultimate and final conclusion on Jesus' person and his work. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's your final and ultimate conclusion on all that you've seen him do in work. His testimony about himself, when you arrive to the conclusion, like the scribes and Pharisees, oh, he's demon-possessed. That can't be forgiven. It won't be forgiven. This is why we need to keep praying for our friends and loved ones, especially those in this jar, who who have seen a lot of things, they've heard a lot of things, but they don't rightly attribute Jesus' work to his lordship. Uh, that's chance. Uh, that's this. Right? No. We need to keep praying. We need faithful messengers to testify to his work in the world, in their lives. We need to explain the truth of who Jesus is. We need, how many of y'all, even today, you, we need to explain the true nature of forgiveness. When me and Blake were actually at McDonald's and we witnessing to the brother, and, uh, you know, we were just doing our normal routine, you know, Ebony and uh, Caramel. Just <laughs> doing our thing. And, uh, you know, we hit him, how could we pray for y'all? And then finally, before we, how could we pray for you? We're like, man, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? What do you do? Kind of just, it was a, a hesitation. I can guarantee you it was about this concept. 
I don't know if I'm forgiven or not forgiven. It broke my heart, man. Because, I mean, if you're homeless, at least the one thing that you can hold on to and have joy in your heart is I'm going to heaven. I don't know if I'm forgiven, man. Clearly, he was familiar with Jesus. Clearly, he was familiar with some kind of scripture. I was like, ah, I don't know. Some, we have to explain the true nature of how this works. Remind people. It seems like the inclination is more towards the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit than it is that all sins can be forgiven. If that makes any sense. We need to keep hearing the nature of what it means to be united to Christ. I want to offer you a couple more superstitious kind of things that people are believing. Last week, we were at the table with friends. Someone says, man, and was brought to literal tears. I hope this person, before they got shot of multiple gunshot wounds, I hope they had enough cognitive ability to call out and ask the Lord for forgiveness. That seems strange, huh? Maybe it doesn't. Where I came from at my last stop, there was a woman came through our office doors in tears, couldn't sleep. Her son died on the highway. She wanted the autopsy report to be able to verify whether or not his wrists were broken or they weren't. Because contingent upon the wrist breaking, that would let her know whether or not he drove the car off the road purposefully or it was some kind of accident. Because if it was suicide, he couldn't have been forgiven from it. Couldn't sleep. All sins can be forgiven if you are in Christ Jesus. Who could bring a charge against God's elect? Because it's him who justifies. Who is he who condemns? No, it's Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father and his blood intercedes for you. Not your conscience. Come on, man. People need to know this. You need to know it, and you need to believe it in your heart today. Our pastor from Second Prayers, he told a story. Blake reminded me of it when we were talking about the message that there was a member in the church who, who used to be a, a, a drug addict and started walking with the Lord and was kind of rehabbing and kind of cleaning things up and saw the, 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 the drug addiction lesson and lesson. Member died tragically of a drug overdose. The congregation comes to the pastor and is like, man, what? I don't know. What, what's it mean? Like, is she going to be? Was she out? Our pastor says it so eloquently, probably in only ways that he could probably say it, but he said, no way. She died a stumbling sinner just like the rest of us will. Come on, man. No superstition. We stand firmly on the fact that all sins can be forgiven if we repent and believe in faith. That's where we land. So when some of us die in the middle of an argument with our husband, Gina like, oh, you're going to die of a heart attack when you fuss at me. <laughs> I know where I'll be, man. You do too. I don't want you to live with that anxiety. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, let them debate that. 
as long as your final ultimate conclusion is that Christ is who he says he is, he did what they said he did, and he's coming back for me, don't you ever worry about another day in your life. You're part of the family. I'm convinced that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. And neither death nor life, angels, demons, things present nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation. Ain't one thing going to be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Let's pray. God, we know that there are people in this very room who have worked themselves over about the nature of forgiveness. God, we know that there are loved ones that we know who we've had countless conversations and spent countless hours with worried about this very subject. Am I in? Am I out? God, thank you for what you've left for us in Scripture to remind us that as long as our final conclusion is that you are Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that you are Lord, that even though we will continue sometimes stammering through life, sometimes disobedient, sometimes living circumspectfully in, in the way we should, that your promise doesn't change. And today, as we get ready to leave this place, I pray that we would have enough sense to keep running to your arms, running to the altar, for your arms are open wide. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray, and we all say amen.